So I'm very excited to have you on the show, Labors of Love with Lydia. This is Jessica Patrick, real estate agent. And do you still call yourself um, a dabbling real estate investor or are you kind of a master of investing now? I don't even have a master, but uh -huh. uh, definitely uh, an apprentice still, I think. It's <laughs> There's a lot of people are still an apprentice, but yeah, so lots of stuff to learn. Well, um, Jessica, tell us your story in a nutshell. How did you get started? How did you end up where you are today? Like, just give us a good summary there. Of what's going on? Okay, yeah. So um, it's been a long journey over a lot of years, but um, you know, I got a really good piece of advice from my dad when I was much, much younger, and his advice was: economies go up and down. Businesses start and fail, but people always need somewhere to live. And, you know, this was a conversation we were having about investments that he had made in the past and kind of, um, you know, we were talking about commercial properties versus residential properties, but that really stuck with me that people always, always, always need somewhere to live, no matter what, right? No matter what the economy is doing. So that stuck with me. Um, and I guess my husband and I have, dab I say, dabbled in real estate um, and real estate invest investing since like 1997. We bought our very first condo um, when we were, I was 22, he was 23, before we had even gotten married. Um, and we recognized that, and this was in Sacramento in Citrus Heights, and we recognized that we were paying way more rent for a one-bedroom, one-bath apartment than we could for this condo that was for sale, including the HOA fees. Um, I think we were paying like $550 a month for this one-bedroom apartment, and we could go buy a one-bedroom condo, or a two-bedroom condo, and our mortgage was like four sixty, dollars including mm -hmm. the HOA fees on that condo. So that's kind of where we started. And when way back in 1997, they had this program called the Nehemiah program. And um, you had to take a class, but it was basically, they offered like a 1% down payment. It was, I can't remember how it all worked, but it sat on top of your loan and they funded everything. And, and it got all of, all of our expenses and down payment um, got funded into the loan. And you only had to come up with like 1% of that. So I think we ended up paying like $700 out of pocket to get into this condo. No, pretty incredible. Yeah, um, that's at the time. So just getting that skin in the game and just learning about the program, taking that class that Nehemiah required you to take, um, learning about you know credit lessons when at that young of an age, and um, just learning about the real estate transaction process overall and like loan funding and all of that, just set us up for future success. Um, and from there, we kind of dabbled as investors and typically just had one rental property time for, for a lot of years. And I'll get into the details as we go through this, but, you know, we've used a few different methods to invest in property. So we've, um, what's called, you know, people call house hacking, where you um, buy a house, live there for a couple of years, and then rent that out and buy the next house, um, hold equity for cash purchases out of our current home, um, and then do delayed financing, pull the cash back out of that. Um, and honestly, we saved a lot of cash for a lot of years and made a lot of, you know, smart investments for our financial future. Um, and then in 2021, we got really serious about our investment goals and just, you know, future retirement and how we wanted to set ourselves up for um, the future and just have good old fashioned passive income. Um, and I'll kind of fill you in on how our story unfolded and and how we set our intentions and the universe literally just opened up for us and delivered. And we ended up purchasing, we acquired 10 doors in a matter of 16 months. Um, wow. Using conventional financing, 1031 exchange. We did a really creative um, seller financing program on one of them. Um, but so I'll talk to you guys about that. And we've got a couple of land banked uh, properties that we're going to drop a couple of, of homes on in the future. 
um, but they're already providing great cash flow and um, lots of potential for the future. So, and a lot of that acquisition was was very recent, just last year, huh? Yes. Yeah. Yes. In the last sixteen months. So wow. it's been busy. Yes, that is awesome. Well, okay. So in the beginning, you said that that was before you and your husband were even married. Like, who convinced who, or what did your conversations look like with your, you know, soon-to-be husband? Was he always on board, or whose idea was this? <laughs> yeah, you know what? For the first um, couple of transactions that we did, it was always him kind of dragging me along. Mm-hmm. I was always the one going, "Well." can we really do this right now? Should we really, you know, I have the analysis paralysis and kind of the scary cat mentality of not, you know, wanting to pull the trigger on it and really wanting to be um, cautious and moving forward. So he's the one that convinced me and, and really kind of dragged me along for the first couple of months. Um, and I don't think, I don't, I've never ever regretted doing any of the things that we've done um, and making any of the moves that we've done. But so, and then, on the last couple, I've had to kind of drag him along and we can kind of talk about those when we get there, but. Oh, how the turntables have turned. Yeah. <laughs> yep. uh, right. but, you know, it's just a numbers game. And mm-hmm. um, just like I said, with the, with purchasing that condo, just understanding that, hey, we're paying way more money in rent than we could, you know, purchasing this condo and, you know, we have the equity we can gain and, you know, all the good financial benefits from that. Um, yeah, you just have to like talk people into it. Yeah. And so when you bought that first condo, was that your first investment property or you lived there a while and then it became investment property? I'm just I'm curious how your first one went. Yeah. So we lived there, um, until 2001. So I think as, as my story kind of unfolds, it's really going to show people the power in uh, home ownership, right? And the journey of equity and appreciation of assets over time and how you can use that you know, as leverage for your future endeavors, right? And just just getting a teeny bit of skin in the game, um, you can leverage that for years to come. Um, so, you know, as long as you're making sh- smart decisions and and the numbers work, um, you can really build wealth on just the tiniest investment. Like I said, we put $700 down on this condo. Um, and in 2001, so we bought that condo in 1997 for $66,000 and sold it in 2000. I guess between 2000 and 2001 for Mm $112,000. And then we purchased our first brand new home in Roseville in, uh, I guess it was all in 2000. I think our house was actually finished in 2001. And we bought that for like $189,000. Brand new Tim Lewis home in Roseville, 2001. Um, And then in 2005, we sold that for about $315,000. So you can see the trend. We've like doubled in equity over time Mm -hmm. and not that many years of time, right? Yeah. And then we purchased a bigger home with a pool and all of that in Roseville for about 425. And so our true investment journey began because we hated our next door neighbors. Um, absolutely hated our next door neighbors. They were partying all the time and we had a two-year-old baby and it was just a horrible situation. Um, and that was in 2009 as the big crash was happening. That's really when our investment journey began. So we, we had done all these transactions and we had really just like doubled equity over and over and over. Um, yeah, but so it was 2009. We absolutely hated our neighbors. We couldn't sell our current home at the time without losing any money, right? Because the crash, yeah. everything was just falling apart all around us. Um, so we decided that it was the smart thing to do to buy a home elsewhere. 
um, to live in and rent the house out, the, our Roseville house out. Um, and we didn't really have a ton of cash. We needed to do an FHA loan and we pulled, you know, we had really small 401ks at the time, but all of our mm -hmm. equity was rolled into this house. We just had nothing to pull out in 2009. Um, so we decided to pull some money out of our 401ks. We were working with Wells Fargo. Um, we, everything was moving along nice and smoothly. And the day, um, so we, we were actually in contract on house in Lincoln. Bigger property, great house. At that time, prices were just falling apart. So we were in contract for $216,000 on a beautiful house in Lincoln um, with an FHA loan, working with Wells Fargo. And the day that we were supposed to close on that was like one of the days where like Lehman Brothers fell apart and like all this stuff in the financial markets was happening. Mm -hmm. um, and we got a call from Wells Fargo and said, we don't want to do your loan last minute, literally our appointment was in like an hour to go sign these papers. They didn't want to do the loan uh, because they were afraid that we were going to buy and bail. They didn't like the factories and 401k funds. They were looking for any excuse they could to not close this transaction. But the biggest thing was um, buy and bail, right? They were afraid that we were going to buy this house at a lower cost, move in, and then let our other loan lapse, right? And and just let our let that property fall apart. That wasn't our intention. Our intention was to keep it, rent it out, and you know, use that as an investment property. But that's not how they saw it because I guess that's what everybody else was doing at the time. They were just yeah. like dumping their house with the with the big crazy mortgage and the you know um, the high amounts they paid for it and hopping into to new properties that were at a lower cost. So that all fell apart. Um, and he was actually just like insane trying to get through the process. So Wells Fargo wouldn't do it. Our the guy we were working with at Wells Fargo had a friend that was still at Countrywide Mortgage and he literally like met her in a parking lot and handed off our file. And, you know, we had to come up with all these explanations and just do go jump through crazy, crazy hoops. Um, but we finally made it happen and we closed. I think we closed probably, you know, 15 to 20 days later than we originally anticipated. Yeah, but, we got that done. Yeah, but, but it happened. That's good. It happened. But it was crazy to have to go through and, and just like stressful. I mean, our house was packed. We were ready to go. And that, and it totally fell apart because of the, you know, the times we were in. Um, so anyway, I feel like I got off track on that, but that's no, how we got into our first true investment property. Awesome. And that's kind of crazy how at that time you got to see how much mortgages were changing all of a sudden because of that uh, housing crash. And as we progressed, like after 2009, all the way through 2014, and then all the way through COVID to see all the different documentation and more underwriting requirements and stuff in the loan process to purchase these homes is a is a huge transformation. And so did you end up renting that house out in Roseville? Was it did it work how you wanted after you finally got that home in Lincoln? We did. Yeah. So we ended up working with a property management company. Um, and I'm trying to think. So we had, I think, over the time that we owned that had like three tenants in that house. Um, so these property, property management company, they actually allowed one of their employees to rent the house. Um, mm -hmm. This lady had like a bunch of bunny rabbits that she let run around the house and ruin the carpet. And uh, But yeah, we were able to rent it out. And at first it was, um, you know, I think we were like cash, $200 a month cash flow negative on this property or something. You know, rents were still kind of coming up at the time. Um, and we didn't know anything about being landlords. We didn't know anything about managing a property management company and, you know, setting expectations, all of that. All we knew was like, hey, we hated our neighbors. <laughs> we bought this other house. 
you do all the work for us and rent it out, get our, get our rent every month, et cetera. Um, but yeah, so we've come a long way on trying to, on learning and educating ourselves on being. Yeah. Um, that's something that you would recommend is for someone that's, you know, their first investment, they're trying to rent it out to tenants. Would you recommend going the property management route? Was that something that you were able to learn from quickly? Um, I think if you are a new, I think it depends, right? If you mm-hmm. are really going to get into this and, and have a plan to get into investment properties, um, I think it would be wise to educate yourself. Um, and I'm happy to help educate people too. If anybody ever has any questions, I love telling my story and giving information out. But I think if you don't have the time or um, the patience, or just if you haven't educated yourself out the gate, I would recommend initially maybe hiring a property management company to oversee things for you, or at least doing your initial rent up. And then, um, you know, you can manage the monthly rents and any repairs or anything from there. But even rent ups are kind of intense because people get really flaky and it's just kind of hard to know that you're renting to the right person. And if you don't have, you know, the processes and platforms in place to do like background screenings and, you know, all the appropriate screening um, requirements, it might be easier to even just do that rent up with property management. And then you said something a second ago about you didn't manage the property management company correctly. Is there some hidden tidbits of advice for that as well? Yeah. So I think, you know, like I said, they rented to one of their employees and it was actually their like staff accountant they rented it to. And they, I never knew she had bunny rabbits running around the house. I mean, we had to replace all the carpets when she left there. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was one thing, right? I mean, it's kind of, I guess it doesn't matter that they were renting it to their employee, but the fact that they didn't, you know, notify us that she had animals in the house and, you know, didn't collect a deposit for that, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when, when uh, there was another scenario when she moved out, they had a gardener come through and do a bunch of like work in the backyard and they like destroyed a bunch of plants and like pulled up a bunch of the drips and, you know, things that we just weren't, you know, things we didn't recognize that we had to oversee them on or kind of check in on them on. Um, you know, we just didn't know how, to what degree you had to manage the property management company, right? And tell them what you're, you know, set expectations and boundaries, et cetera, with them. Okay, got it. So don't let them go free reign. Maybe like you want to keep an eye on what they're doing so you can learn and maybe take over some of those responsibilities, but also continue to check in until you feel like you've you're in a good spot with them or you understand what their expectations are um, versus your own expectations. Yeah. Yeah. Great advice. You know, and just making sure that they're upholding their part of the bargain. Right. Mm -hmm. And and they're not just letting things fall apart. Yeah. And so is there any like biggest learning lessons that you came out with this, um, with this property that you had? So this is the first one that you're renting out to people. Like what would you say are the biggest takeaways from doing that? Yeah, the biggest lessons learned on that property, um, I mean, overall, right, on starting from having to deal with the whole buy and bail situation and then, um, you know, managing property management companies, all of it. So these lessons learned is really just how to handle objections and just finding a way to make things happen and just, you know, staying in it, right? We didn't give up. We knew we needed to make it happen. Um, and yeah, screening and finding the right asking the right questions of property management company, right? And, and again, just educating yourself. We've really hopped into this with 
just like blinders on. We had no idea what we were getting into, right? We just knew we wanted to move, so we hated our neighbors. Um, but yeah, educating yourself and screening everyone, right? And not be afraid to ask questions. Um, and there are good tenants and there are bad tenants. So the first one, you know, she had the whole rabbit issue. The second tenant set of tenants we had in there were incredible and they stayed for I think like three or four years. They were awesome. They they took probably better care of the house than we did when we were there. Um, and then we had another short stint with another bad tenant after that, after they moved out. Um, but really just kind of embracing the unknown and pushing forward every day with like the big picture and your goal in mind. Um, but I can't stress enough, just like educate, self-educate, self-educate and ask questions. And do it. It sounds like at this point in time, you kind of got over that analysis paralysis. Is that correct? You kind of grew out of it? Yes, I think so. So um, at that point, you know, as the years went by with that property, you know, rents started to increase. We kind of got our sea legs underneath us and we mm -hmm. realized, okay, all right, now we're cash flow positive and um, this is kind of how you do it. And we had dealt with several different scenarios and, you know, repairs and tenant issues and everything. So we kind of felt like we had. Um, had some skills. We had some, some tools in your tool belt. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Nice. Okay. So like what mind frame did you have when you started looking for your next properties? You got those tools in your tool belt. Like what was your plan? What did you think about for next steps? Yeah. So our next step was to kind of do it all again, right? We were living in our house in Lincoln. We really loved the house, but it didn't have a lot of backyard space. You know, Lincoln, Lincoln's all the houses are kind of on top of each other. Uh, big, beautiful homes right on top of each other. Um, so our goal was kind of the house hack for the next one, right? Um, and we did another, we made another dumb mistake. So, um, you know, prices were still low. It was about 2012. Um, and at that time, those hedge funds were coming through and just buying up all these properties, but prices were still low and there were still things to be had. Um, and we had gotten one of those flyers in the mail um, from Heart and Heart Program. Do you remember the Heart Program? No. <laughs> uh, it was like the, the intent of the program was for people that were upside down in their homes, they could refinance. There were certain, there's a bunch of different requirements and, and criteria, but you could refinance your home for a lower rate and kind of fix the, the previous mortgage mistakes and, and try to get out from being upside down on your home. We were not upside down on our home. Um, we really didn't need the heart program. I didn't know that at the time. Like, I didn't understand it enough at the time to say, you know, why don't we just like not do this and just do a regular, you know, refi. But I think the rates were lower under this heart program. This is probably why we did it. Um, but we didn't understand all of the stipulations under the loan. And I can't even remember exactly what the issue was. Um, but when we went to, so we were actually in contract in another home. We went back down the, the house hacking route found this great big beautiful home in Lincoln that we wanted to upgrade to and we were going to rent out a rather house. Um, but for whatever reason, um, whatever the rule was, they would not go through, when we got into underwriting, they wouldn't approve it. I guess there was some kind of rule under FHA where you couldn't buy another house under Fannie Freddie rules for a certain period of time or something like that. I think it was like a couple of years. Um, anyway, so that like ruined our plans for that. Again, I don't remember all the details. So we went out and we started looking for another just straight investment property that we were going to purchase. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there was kind of like a blessing. So the, that was the big mistake is getting involved in that part of the program. But the blessing that came out of that is our lender actually introduced us to um, 
who is my mentor to this day, one of my mentors to this day, um, she was, her husband are investors and she's actually a real estate broker. Um, she became our realtor when we were doing, you know, we were going through these transactions and ended up, you know, working with us on three additional transactions before I got my real estate license. Um, so that was the blessing that came out of all of that. And, and, you know, she really coached us on investing in generational wealth and, and all of that. Um, anyway, so we started looking for another investment property and, you know, despite the best coaching that she gave us, um, we kind of didn't grasp the true, the true concept of just going out and finding and emotionally detaching from the process of finding an investment property that we were not going to live in, right? Mm -hmm. Because we were kind of of the mind at the time where we were going to, we were going to house hack again. We were going to live in this next house and then rent ourselves out, kind of keep going that way. Um, so when we were out, when we were out and about looking for this next investment property, we really weren't emotionally detached and we were super picky on selecting the investment property. Uh, you know, minor things that would come up on a home inspection, like, oh, the fireplace is cracked inside, or there's a crack in the shower pan on a, on a, you know, slab foundation, or, oh, there's a window sill that's broken, or whatever, right? Just dumb little stuff, and we were like, oh, no, we can't this property. Um, so we were just like, we weren't in the right mindset to, um, to find a true investment property at that time. I'll just, I'll just say that. We just mm -hmm. did not have the right mindset. Um, so, Fast forward, I think we just got super frustrated at that point and we're just like, forget it, moving on. Like it's not meant to be right now. Um, and then fast forward to June of 2013, we bought our house in Auburn and we did that prior to selling the Lincoln house that we were in. Um, and to this day, I don't know why we sold that house in, like we moved into our Auburn house and then sold the Lincoln house in September of 2013 to this day. I don't know why we did that. Like we were looking for an investment property and then we went and sold that property because I think we were just so frustrated. That, that yes. there. So anyway, we did that. So much regret looking back on selling that house. I mean, um, anyway, I think we thought one rental at a time was enough and whatever. So, and then in 2014, we sold our house in Roseville. Um, and we really did that in like this perfect storm of circumstances. Um, we, at that time, the prices had started coming back up. We, you know, it was to the point where it was going to start needing some repairs and all of that, but we were able to sell it at a cash profit, a loss on paper. Um, so therefore we got this huge tax credit because we showed the slots on paper. We came, we walked away with the cash profit and we didn't have to do a 1031 exchange. So it was kind of like this perfect storm. So we, we sold that, um, and hung on to that money. And at that point in time, we were kind of really focused on our cash savings and our stock investing and all of that. So, mm -hmm. um, it wasn't until June of 2018 that we decided to purchase another true investment property. Um, so I, I'm just like rambling on. I don't know if you have any questions. Well, yeah. So it sounds like you got rid of all of your investments for a while until the right property started coming up. And you're like, okay, we're going to invest in this again. And before when we were talking, you did say that you and your husband sort of stumbled upon a niche of having multiple properties on one lot. Like, how did you how did you stumble upon that niche? Was this 2018 property one of those? Or like, tell us some more about that. Yeah, so this was not the 2018 property. We kind of, um, in 2018, we, you know, we were watching the markets and things were starting to come way, way up again and, and really heat up. 
Uh, and we knew, excuse me, we wanted to get back in the game. We didn't want to spend a ton of money, but we wanted to get our hands on an investment property again. Um, so we started looking at condos, which um, I don't recommend, but that can be for another another segment, another day. I'll tell you about that. Just so uh, quick, why not recommend condos? Just a quick one. They're hard <laughs> to find. As an investment property, they're really hard to finance. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Fannie and Freddie make it really, really hard to buy condos as a non um, non owner occupied um, investment. There's um, you know rules around it. If so many have to be owner occupied, there's a certain percentage that have to be owner occupied before, before they'll fund a loan, and it's just really challenging. And then you have HOA fees that are eating into your profits. And nowadays, HOA fees are ridiculously high. Mm -hmm. This is something like $450, $500 a month just for the HOA fees. I'm like, wow. It's yeah. like, that was higher than your mortgage on your first house. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just at HOA fees. <laughs> yeah. And there's, I mean, with insurance continuously on the rise, and there's always a reason for them to continue to raise HOA fees and always an assessment coming out of nowhere, right? There's always an assessment for something. So I just, it eats into your profits and I just don't recommend it. If you can help it, but I will say, if you don't have any other options, do it and get some skin in the game, right? Mm -hmm. Get some skin in the game, something where you can grow equity and then move on to the next thing. So I would never discourage anybody not to make an investment. If you have a choice, don't do a condo. <laughs> That's good. Uh, okay, so, so continuing on to how you stumbled upon that niche that you, you have now. Okay, so let me just tell you this too about the condo. So with this, we purchased it. We took out a second on our primary residence to have the cash to purchase that. And then we turned around and did a delayed. Um, so because of the issues with Fannie Freddie and getting getting like a mortgage on a condo, we, we pulled cash out, bought it cash, and then we were able to take our time and turn around and do a delayed purchase and basically refi the cash back out of it. So anyway, mm -hmm. I just wanted to throw that out there because that's a technique that people might need to use in the future or doing a delayed yeah. purchase like that. Um, okay, so then we kind of, we have this one, right? It was under our belt. We were back in the game and we were waiting for the kind of right next property to come along. Um, you know, we had that little bit of cash set aside and we were kind of willing to part with some of our savings. Um, and in 2021, it was, I guess it must've been February. I put a call into my lender. I'm like, Hey, we're ready. We're ready to do this. Like, let's get the ball rolling. Um, let's get a pre-qual going we really want to start getting serious and start looking. And um, probably a, two days later, I had this, this is again, another story for another day, but mm -hmm. like part of a portion of my career was just like totally falling apart. There was a lot going on in that aspect of my life. And um, the same day that that was all happening, like that all started, my husband's cousin called us and said, hey, and this was again, like two days after we had reached out to Leonard and said, let's get going. And was crying on the phone that, you know, in hysterics because her landlord was going to sell the house she was living in. Um, and she, as she was telling me this, she was in hysterics crying and telling me, yeah, he's going to sell my my um, my house. And, you know, there's another house in the back that he rents out. And he told me that, you know, I could buy it if I want. Um, you know, I have first rights to it if I really wanted to. You got to help me figure this out. And, you know, I, I knew that she was not able to qualify for this property. And I had her on speakerphone and I was sitting next to my husband on the couch, looking at him going, like mouthing, we're going to get this house. Oh my God. <laughs> um, so yeah. And I said, well, you know, tell the landlord, like, we'll buy this property. Like tell call him right now and tell him we will buy this property. 
let's, you know, talk about price and, and let him know that, you know, I'll broker the deal. I'll save him a bunch of money. Like he won't have to do anything. Like I will handle everything and we will get this house closed in like 30 days. Um, so yeah, we ended up having a conversation the next day and he agreed to our price and he agreed to let me just manage the entire transaction. Um, and so as we were going through the process, you know, it all went incredibly smooth and um, he, we, we didn't get too picky on any repairs. We just, in general, want to make sure like any major health and safety items are handled, right? Anything else we kind of, <clears throat> um, you know, the price that we offered was pretty much commiserate with the, with the condition of the home, right? But any health and safety items, we did ask them to repair anything that could cause a major problem. Um, and then, you know, once we got that closed and we got together and he kind of handed off keys to me and we were just having that closing conversation, he, I was like, so, you know, what's next for you? And he started telling me about how they were moving to Tennessee and that his father-in-law owned a bunch of houses and a bunch of properties in the same neighborhood and that he was selling all of his properties and they were moving to Tennessee and buying a bunch of properties out there. So. I was like, you have to give me his phone number. Like, I need his phone number. <laughs> his phone number. What's his name? Who is he? Um, so I basically just begged him to introduce me to his father-in-law. Um, and yeah, the rest is history there. So I'll, I'll kind of share my story with Joe, who is really has become another mentor in my life. Um, you know, and, and how we ended up purchasing the next eight doors from Joe. So are all those properties in Tennessee that you purchased then? No, they're all, they're all in Roseville. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so he was selling all of his California properties and he was purchasing in Tennessee. Okay. So yeah, it, it was an incredible like delivery from the universe that both of these, you know, both of these contacts just like fell in our lap. And were all these properties you purchased like multiple doors on one lot as well, or a lot of them? Yes. Yeah. So, um, the first one was two homes on one lot. And then, um, so I don't know if you've ever kind of driven around downtown Roseville. A lot of the lots are big, long, rectangular lots, and then they have an alley in the back of them. Um, so generally, most people have built two homes on each of those lots, and, and one house will face the main street, and the other house will face the back of the alley, and that's kind of the entrance there. Um, so the first property was two homes on one lot, and then there's also a... Um, a garage that was converted into a studio, which was kind of unconverted. Um, and we have that like land banked and eventually we're going to reconvert that into a studio apartment there. Um, and then the next property that we ended up purchasing from Joe was a duplex in the corner lot. Um, and so there's a duplex facing one street and then another single home facing the other street. So that's a total of five doors. And on that property, there was also a huge backyard, huge space between the duplex and the house facing the other corner. So we've kind of land banked, we've fenced that off and we're saving that for, you know, a future endeavor. We're gonna put probably a small ADU in that space as well. Um, and then the next one was another two house on one lot. And then, so we did all of those between March of 2021 and July of 2021. And then um, in, I guess it was July, about end of June this year um, is when we closed our last property. 
um, and this one's kind of kind of interesting. So it's a multi-use property and it has a commercial building on it. So it's used as a hair salon now. And then it's also got two residential units. Um, so there's two one bedroom, one bath residential units on that property. Mm-hmm. That sounds cool. And would you say there's like any any pros and cons to these multiple properties on one lot? I would say the cons are, so the pros are enormous, right? There's one mortgage on the entire property, right? Um, regardless of how many doors are on the property, one mortgage, and but you're getting multiple rents. So the, the property's cash flow, excellent. I mean, having that many rents under one mortgage, it just, it works out financially very well. Um, the cons, there's not really a lot of cons, except that the mortgage servicers cannot keep the insurance premium straight. So uh, when you have like, when they're all separate homes, you have a, uh, you have to have a policy on each of them separately, right? They don't write okay. just one policy blanket. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, I've had nothing but problems, like from the time we're closing and, and just getting everything funded and insurance payments getting getting off and out to the insurers, like nobody can seem to make that happen. And now this year during renewals, I'm getting bills in the mail going, your your loan servicer didn't pay your insurance premium. So I'm having to kind of figure out why and where did it go? And um, so that's, that's the only thing that's really been problematic. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I think um, not a lot of cons. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good thing to to look out for. Like not something that I would expect because typically with the escrow accounts, the reason to have them is so you don't have to think about paying the property taxes or the the owner's insurance. But now we know to keep track. Um, it'd be interesting if you could, if like the property management company might take that over. You don't have to do the uh, the owner's insurance in the escrow. Maybe just put that aside or something and see if there's a way that you can pay it that's easier to manage um, and screwed up less less often for sure. <laughs> um, and uh, so it sounds like you had this relationship with Joe, maybe he was giving you first dibs on these awesome properties. I was going to ask like, if you see more competition from other investments when you're looking at those multiple doors on one lot uh, type of property or like, how do you, how do you win those when the offers on those types of properties, if you are seeing more competition? Yeah. So, I mean, we all know what kind of market 2020, like 2020 and 2021 was crazy, right? There mm-hmm. were people just, um, you know, all over the place. And I, I really feel like people really got interested in real estate investing for some reason, you know, more than normal in, in those, in the past two years. Um, and there were definitely other investors like knocking on his door, sending him letters. Um, but I really just developed that relationship with Joe, you know, as a mentor-mentee relationship. And I'd always say, Joe, I want to be you when I grow up. I mean, he literally owned like this at one point, this entire neighborhood, you know, mm-hmm. from like the 90s through 2021. And it's just like it was incredible. The knowledge that he had was incredible. Um, just the way that he built his wealth and uh, you know, just kind of understood um you know, I, I call him the millionaire next door. So, you know, he was a guy, he owned, he probably made like $50,000 a month in rent. But the first time I met him, he drove up in a dusty little Honda Civic and a flannel. And, you know, he didn't show out his money and he didn't overspend his money. He truly knew how to build wealth. And yeah. I really genuinely wanted to learn from him. And, and I told him that, and I think he took pride in that and really, you know, took me on as a mentee. And I think he was actually happy to see us buy these properties from him and, and happy to see us succeed and kind of 
start down the path of you know the legacy that he built. So developing that special relationship, um, I also made it easy for him. I brokered all of the deals. He didn't have a bunch of fees going out the door. Um, you know, we were able to come up with reasonable prices. He he knew that because he was giving me such a reasonable price that I wasn't going to be, you know, we weren't going to be too picky on all the, all the things that we hadn't fixed over the years that were outside of, you know, health and safety issues. Um, yes. And and a lot of the properties were kind of run down, right? And we knew in the future, like we're doing now, and I'll get into that, but we're, we're kind of in a cycle of remodeling all of them and, and making some updates. And, you know, he knew they were kind of in a little bit of a dilapidated condition compared to some of the other stuff that was on the market. And, and he, you wouldn't really have to deal with that from us, right? Because we knew what we were getting there when it was kind of a production. So yeah. And one I thing that one thing that I wanted to to note on is like you built this amazing connection and you know you put you put it out there in the universe like okay we want to start um developing these investment properties and you said it all kind of fell into place. But also it I noticed like you weren't afraid to ask. You weren't afraid to ask for the father in law's number. You weren't afraid to ask for him to teach you. A little bit so you knowing what your goals were and putting it out there also allowed you to to ask for what you needed as well and that's um that's really cool yeah and that's huge right and i think um nobody and i don't even know if joe believed me at the time when we after we, we got through clinton and then i you know the or we got through the first one with his son-in-law and then you know bought the, the duplex and the house on the corner with joe and i'm like hey well, I'm ready for the next one. Like, I want this next one over here. Like, I want that one. And it was kind of like, oh, sure, you want that? You want this one? And, and you know, my intentions were very clear. And this was kind of at the point where I had to start dragging my husband along. Like, no, this is doable. We can do this next one. We can, we can make this happen and make this work. And I would call my lender, too, and say, um, are you sitting down? Because are you ready? Are you ready for the next one? Because we're doing this. We're doing the next one. Um, yeah. So it's just a matter of, at this point, I wasn't hesitating. I knew what I wanted and I was kind of pulling everybody along with me going, okay, here's, here's the next step. How do we make it happen? How do we all make this happen? Like Joe, you've got to give me this price. Lender, you've got to get your act together and just tell me everything you need. and Let's get, get this through underwriting. And, you know, I had to sit my husband down and just show him the numbers and, and, um, you know, change his mind. <laughs> That's so funny. He was dragging you in the beginning and now it's you showing him the number saying, oh, this is going to be worth it. Like, these are our goals now. Uh, that's really awesome. And I think you mentioned that the, um, the one of the more recent ones that you closed, you were able to do some creative financing. Um, tell us about that. What What is that like? Sometimes people hear the word creative financing and they cringe. Um, but I think there's just a lot that nobody really understands about that. Yeah. I mean, at a certain point, you have to get very creative. Um, and I think, you know, there, I could do a whole other episode on like what you can and can't do. And anyways, but we, we did have to get creative on this one. Um, and it was, it was a win-win creative situation. So um, the other three deal or the other deals that we did with Joe were um, between, so the last one we did with him was in July of 2021. So it was almost a year. We were working on this last thing for about a year and this particular property, because it's a mixed use, it's commercial, it's residential, um, but it's not like your standard, hey, there's a business underneath it and there's apartments on top of it. It's not, it doesn't look like that. Um, it's really hard to find financing on a mixed use property. People want that up down property. That's a, that's a 
cookie cutter or somebody will fund that all day long mm -hmm. every day, right? But none of the lenders, um, nobody wanted this deal. Nobody wanted to take it. And there was a credit union that my lender was working at, local credit union. And they were like, yeah, we'll do it. And we were relying on, you know, Joe's records of rent, which were not always the best. Like, you know, he was kind of loosey-goosey with his records and all of this. And it was just really hard to prove the rents. And, and his documentation is not the type of documentation that, you know, a lender wants to see. And yeah. anyway, it was really challenging. And they ended up offering us a rate with like a big balloon, pay, you know, like a at the time, it was like a 6% rate, which now it's like, you know, whatever, today. Today, <laughs> that's a good rate. Yeah. Um, but, you know, seven months ago, that was not a great rate. And there's a big balloon payment. And then there was also some other variability in that. Anyway, it just wasn't a great thing. And my husband was already kind of skeptical about this particular property um, because of a couple of different things. Um, but he was just, he didn't like those financing terms. And he didn't believe in it. And it's like, no, too difficult. I don't want to do it. So, you know, months went on and I kept having me, you know, massaging Joe and, and saying, we got to get this done or I want to get this done. Um, but we got really creative on a win-win. So at this point, he had sold off most of everything else. He was getting ready to actually move himself physically to Tennessee. Um, he just had his own personal property and this one to get rid of. And I kept telling him, I want it. I want it. I have to have it. I have to have it. Um, so we got really creative. Um when he purchased the property, so it sits on actually two parcels. Um, he purchased it at a very low price and he did that on seller financing. Um, anyway, so we came up with a, um, a price and we had a specific cash amount that we provided him. And we actually, um, you know, wrote the contract up for this lower priced amount, which helped him, uh, not have to do a 1031 exchange right hmm. and then it helped us on that end um to not have this big giant supplemental tax bill later yeah. um because we had you know one price that we were actually purchasing it for so that was kind of a, the win-win and I'm, I'm saying that without getting you know giving too much detail on on how that all works but we didn't want hmm. a huge supplemental tax payment he didn't want to have to do a 1031 exchange and pay a bunch of taxes on it so we came up with the right price that got reported in that you know that was the the, I guess, public facing deal that we made, right, and and got recorded and that's on record. And then we ended up agreeing on a side note for the remaining portion of that. Mm -hmm. So we have um, kind of a side, yeah, like a side mortgage. Mm -hmm. I guess that since you've done so many transactions with Joe and you have that trust in there, that was able to make sense. But, you know, traditionally, traditional seller financing, you might not want to do it that way. You might want to get a, a real estate attorney um, involved. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I yeah, I don't recommend doing it that way. I think if you're going to come up with um, a note like that, a fixed side note like that, absolutely have an attorney write that up for you, 100%. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, Joe had done some seller financing previously on other deals, so he had some really good notes already drawn up. Um, we obviously had a very trusting relationship. Um, so we we were able to work that out amongst ourselves, and then um, yeah, and then the the you know kind of on paper portion or, or the the portion that we recorded through escrow, the actual uh, purchase contract that we did, um, you know, we just wrote that up between ourselves. Of course, I'm a real estate broker, so I know how to do that. So definitely get your your realtor broker involved, um, and you know, we opened escrow on that, closed closed that, you know, have that side 
yeah. And are there other key things that you'd recommend um, for someone to to do or to look at to find the right property for them to invest in? Like it seemed like you found a good thing with Joe, and that was actually really recently that you've built a lot of your portfolios. Like, what are some of your recommendations for someone that's looking to start now? Yeah, um, I think that number one that you know, in hindsight, when we first got into this, it was because we hated our neighbors, right? I mean, we, we always knew that, you know, purchasing real estate is a good idea, right? As long as you do it right, um, it's never bad, right? But I mm -hmm. think that, and it's never a bad time to invest in real estate, right? There's there's wrong times to like flip properties, there's wrong times to wholesale, but if you're gonna buy and hold property, there's really never a bad time. And I think you wanna educate yourself on, um, First of all, I guess define your goals, right? Is your is your end game to just build equity in this house over time, or is your goal to have a good, strong monthly cash flow? So educate yourself on that, right? Um, cash flow versus equity, and and understand your timelines and how you want to structure things, um, and really just again educate, educate, educate yourself. And I think um, one of the one of the things that really helped our mindset over the years. And I know everybody knows this book, everybody's heard of it, but Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you can't huh. go wrong reading that book, right? And and Robert Kiyosaki has kind of changed things up over the years on how he thinks and, and whatever, but I think that is such a core book for anybody to read that's thinking about getting into real estate investment because the moral of the story is anybody can do it. You don't have to have a certain education to have, mm -hmm. you know, you don't have to be somebody specific, anybody can do it. So I think that's a core book. Um, and then, you know, listen to podcasts, listen to other people's stories. And there's so many creative ways to get into real estate investing. Um, I listen to bigger pockets podcasts. I don't know if anybody out there has heard of that. I learned mm -hmm. from pockets. They have a great website with like, um, you know, calculators and things that you can use, but tons of free education on that site. Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> and then, yeah, just listen to other people's stories, right? It doesn't need to be overly complicated. Um, understand that mortgage debt is not bad debt. Uh, consumer <laughs> debt is bad debt, but mortgage yeah. debt is not bad debt. In fact, the government like incentivizes mortgage debt, right? Um, mm -hmm. And the mortgage on any buy and hold property is essentially free money to you. As long as your debt service is covered, it's free money. It's free money. Take the money yeah. and build your equity over time and get that cash flow. Um, you know, set your goals. Find the right lender to work with. And I think if you're unsure of, um, you know, how to go about, you know, whether or not you're going to get approved for your first investment property. I mean, there's a lot of things that lenders look at. Mm -hmm. uh, so call Lydia <laughs> and go through like a TBD underwrite, right? If it's mm -hmm. your first time, just, you know, I highly recommend sitting down with your lender and just saying, this is what we want to do. Here's our goals. Like, let's, I don't want any surprises at the finish line. So let's talk about everything now and let's yeah. get, you know, through that TBD underwrite. So we know we're not going to be declined when we're in contract. Yeah. Um, I think emotionally detached, emotionally detached. You cannot be attached to um, an investment property. You're not living there. Um, detached. Yeah. It's not, it's, and it's, whoever your tenants are, they might not have your same preferences for 
the house anyhow. And you don't know if you're going to get a good tenant or a bad tenant. And if they're going to take care of the property, maybe they'll be the ones breaking a windowsill. Yeah. <laughs> <After you buy it. laughs> yeah. Well, um, I, I really liked your advice on um, checking out other podcasts and like listening to people's stories. Cause I think what, after speaking to several investors, I think kind of a recurring theme is, you know, they had that analysis paralysis and then eventually they figured out a way to just get into it. And did they make some mistakes? Do they have some regrets like on selling a property or not, or whatever it is that they did? The answer is yes. But like, how else were they going to learn? They could have done nothing and learned nothing. And instead, like you've built an amazing investment portfolio. You had a few mistakes along the way, but they've all been excellent learning opportunities for you. Would you agree? Absolutely. Always mm -hmm. a lesson learned. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're, we're running short on time. So um, I'll have to to wrap this one up here, but I do want to ask you, how can people reach you, whether it's for investment advice or if they need that real estate agent to start purchasing these investment properties? I think you said that having that uh, agent with investment experience early on was pretty monumental for you guys. So what are all the different ways that people can reach you and speak to you? Yeah, so um, you can reach me the fastest by text, um, mm -hmm. text or calling 916-759-6642. Um, or you, Jessica Patrick Real Estate at gmail.com mm -hmm. uh, or modernre-ca.com. Um, and you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn as well. Excellent. I don't know if I have you on my Instagram. I'll have to, I'll have to search you. Do you uh, what's your Instagram handle? Jessica Patrick Real Estate. Okay, super easy. Well, I'm definitely going to search you and follow you on Instagram. Um, I've done a couple of episodes on building up your social media accounts. And so Instagram is one of those ones that I, I'm working on now since, <laughs> since doing that podcast. But thank you so much for your time and your wisdom, Jessica. I really appreciate it. And uh, just a quick summary, how many, how many properties and how many doors do you have in your portfolio now? So it's 10 doors across four actual properties. Huh. And what's your, what was your goal, like your, your end goal to retire? Well, so our end goal um, is probably to, to have about, you know, about $20,000 a month in cash flow. That's our end goal. However, we get there. Um, Got it. Now, kind of pre-updates to these, we're at about $4,500 a month. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, post rehab will be about the $8,500 mark. So halfway there, halfway to retirement. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that happened all in 16 months. So who knows how quickly that you can get there, but it's been all learning lessons along the way. Um, some amazing mentorships that you've found as well. So I'm excited for you. Um, I think you'll get there sooner than you expect. I hope so. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been awesome. And yes. I can't wait to like keep sharing information with anybody. Yes. If anybody has any questions, they're welcome to reach out to me. I love to just, if you want to bounce anything off of me, I love to talk about this stuff. So anything you need. Wonderful. Good stuff. And thank you again, Je Jessica, for your time. And it sounds like we'll have to do another episode with you in the future. I would love that. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, have a good one. Thank you. Thank you. You too.